Oh. The presence of God is just so strong in this place. You know, pastor, when I look back on my life, I'm guilty. Sometimes I forget just how good God is. I'm not supposed to be here today. I'm not supposed to be here this morning. The redemption in my life makes absolutely no sense. The math just doesn't add up. Then God steps in and he blesses me with a family that I don't deserve and he, he blesses me with a church that I don't, I shouldn't belong to. That's how good God is. And I believe that the Lord wants to do something very special in this service. He's not done yet. In fact, I believe he is just beginning. Sister Davis, I'm thankful for the Lord speaking to you about praying for Europe because I don't think we truly understand what's going on. This is the first major war in 80 years and I think we're so information overload, overload we're desensitized to what is happening. Going from a, a global pandemic that essentially brought upon somewhat of a, of a reset and how to create or reestablish or evolve certain currencies. And Israel now stepping in and, and meeting with Russia. I don't think we understand. And we're living in a, it is a scary time. And I will hear people debate, well, there's the vaccine passport, so it will be established and then soon we'll have the mark of the beast and there's, there, there's wars and, and rumors of wars. And I'll tell you what, and our pastor has the best response to that. I've heard him. He looked at people stressed out, pastor, you don't understand this, this mask mandate and all these different things. The, the, the government's wanting to control us. And pastor has that little smirk. So what? If we are going to have apostolic revival, if we are going to receive the promise that is, that is uh, foretold in Daniel in Revelation, the end of days, then amen, let us rejoice because God is about to unleash the greatest apostolic revival we've ever seen. And Sister Dave is right, we're praying for Europe and we hope that people are okay throughout this war, but most importantly, we're praying for salvation. We're praying for deliverance. We're praying for the church to triumph. We're praying for the underground church of Europe to arise from the rubble and soar. And so yes, we need apostolics like never before to step up and pray, not only for each other, not only for our families, but pray for this world because the antichrist is coming the spirit of the beast perhaps that spirit is already here are you prepared to fight for your family are you prepared to fight for this world we talk about the church having revival this is what we need to understand 
Sophia, you're the church. Skyler, you're the church. Sister Elizabeth, you are the church. We think of this church as this concept of, of this big building and, and this group of people and, well, that's the church. No! Sister Heather, you're the church. Sullivan family, you are the church. I am the church. So if I am the church, Sister Davis, I am responsible for praying revival on an entire continent and the world. Therefore, I must be ready. Paul Marion must be ready. Because if this is the end times, then if the church is supposed to be on the front lines, I must be ready. And there are too many in this building today that's saying, I'm not ready yet. I'm not really ready yet. But newsflash, folks, you don't have a choice. It is now and it is never. If you turn with me to your Bibles, to the book of Genesis, we're going to look at chapter 32 and we're just going to look at verse 22 through 20, 28. Oh, Jesus, help us. Verse 22 begins, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them, he being Jacob, of course, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone and a, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And of course, that man being an angel of the Lord. And verse 25 says, Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he being Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, I'm a deceiver. I'm a thief. I'm the worst. And verse 28 said, and he said, God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Amen. The title of this message this morning is simply the worst among us the worst among us. King Jesus, you're a healing God, a righteous God, a holy God. And I pray, Lord, for the next few moments that you would perform open heart surgery upon us. Lord God, I'm not just speaking to a few, I'm speaking to a many, I'm speaking to every single person in this place today, no matter their background, no matter their color, their culture, their creed, that you are calling us, oh Lord God, to a higher level of commitment and moving forward in your revival. Help us today, oh Lord. I bind and I rebuke every evil spirit in this house that would try to distract and corrupt the minds in this place. Release us, oh Lord God. Free us, oh Lord God. Heal us to be the men and women you've called us to be. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. And everyone say amen. You may be seated. 
Raise your hand if you've ever received an award, an award of anything. Okay, we've got a lot of award winners here. It's good. Now, there are all different kinds of awards. There are, of course, workplace awards, awards for the best athletes, for the best artists, for the best entertainers. Sometimes they put on these multi-million dollar ceremonial presentations to give these certain artists, athletes, and entertainers awards. Thankfully, there's even awards for the best Bible quizzers. We had a lot of Bible quizzers here last week with all kinds of awards. I've won one award in my entire life, and that was the 2011 Youth Pastor of the Year Award. Shout out. Shout out to all my young adults that remember that. Amen. The young people ran, and they also tackled me and smashed it in pieces everywhere. It was a sight to see. Yes. And uh, thankfully, they didn't give out any um, worst youth pastor of the year's awards, because I think there could have been a couple years where I could have possibly, just possibly, won that. Nobody wants to get an award for being the worst. I found out recently for the past four decades, there's a, a parody award show known as the Golden Raspberry Awards. They're called the Razzie Awards. And this honors the worst of cinematic underachievements. So basically as an award ceremony, it's an award ceremony that singles out the worst films and actors of that year. They put on this massive production and they have these awards. Obviously none of the actors or actresses or directors show up for the awards. In fact, some entertainers have come out and said that it is highly offensive and it is the worst, but they've been doing this for 40 years, every single year. Rewarding individuals, giving awards to people who are the worst. But I notice sometimes that many of us, we hold on to our own personal Razzie Awards, don't we? Worst dad of the year, worst husband of the year, worst son of the year, worst brother of the year, worst friend of the year. In fact, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's from this verse where the Apostle Paul received the nickname Chief of Sinners. The New International Version translates, I am chief to I am the worst. And that's quite the title to claim for somebody. And perhaps he could have won Sinner of the Year in 3 or 4 AD as he stood by and held the coats for the angry mob that stoned and murdered Stephen. I look back at my own life and I think, yeah, I could have possibly won Sinner of the Year in perhaps 2001 or, or even 2002. But I wonder, throughout all the dancing, all the praising, I wonder who is the chief of sinners in this house today? Do we have anyone who's jealous? Anyone who's selfish? Any self-centered? Self-serving? Envious? Anyone hard to please? Oh, 
always offended? Anyone bitter? Anyone greedy? Is there anyone out there? Any drug addicts? How about alcoholics? Any adulterers? Any gossipers? Any porn addicts? Are there any thieves? Are there any racists? The truth is that every single one of us can sit here and ponder our own brokenness and sin of our past and even our present. And the truth is that humanity has fell and faced the consequences of such sin well since the dawn of time. And we know the stories Adam and Eve were banished from the garden because of sin and they were sent into exile. Israel was given the gift of the promised land, but because of, of sin, they didn't keep their covenant with God, and they were sent into exile. So exile became a human condition in the Old Testament, where God's people would, would repeat the same pattern of corruption, which would send them into ca captivity on more than one occasion. Anybody can relate to that pattern this morning? And this was a trickle-down effect that can be traced all the way back to the patriarchs of the Hebrew Bible. Each generation of Abraham's family was marked by repeated failure. And many times we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and put God's promises and covenant in jeopardy. Yet God remains faithful to them and keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them despite all of their failings. So the family tree of the Hebrew Bible patriarchs goes like this. Abraham lies, Isaac lies, Jacob lies worse among them. And boy, oh boy, was he worse. Good old Jacob, he was kind of ruthless when you look at his story. His reliance on his own scheming, deceptive, self-reliant practices became a common theme in his life. Jacob was the second-born twin to his brother Esau. His parents named him Jacob, which means taking hold of the heel, or, or better yet, he deceives in Hebrew because Jacob had grabbed Esau's, Esau's heel at birth. And he lived up to his name later as he grabbed Esau's blessing and birthright with deceptive practices. So he cheats his brother, his own brother Esau, out of his birthright, and then later deceives his old blind father on his deathbed into giving him his brother's blessing. And because of this, his brother vows to kill him, which I kind of understand. So Jacob runs off and lives with his terrible uncle Laban to work for him for decades. Sometimes you just reap what you sow. So then he goes off, and of course it gets worse. He takes four wives, and three of them he doesn't even like. Because of this, he creates a bunch of hatred and rivalries with his family. And this causes his wives to fight each other, children to fight each other. It was a complete mess, and it continued to go down in that family tree. Poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. And all Jacob's struggles and fears were about to be realized. Sick of his uncle's treatment, Jacob fled Laban only to encounter his embittered, his embittered brother Esau. 
And of course, anxious for his very life, Jacob concocted a bribe and sent a caravan of gifts, which were actually supposed to be a tithe offering to God, along with his women and children across the river of Jabbok in hopes of calming his brother. What a hero. Now physically exhausted, alone in a desert wilderness facing sure death, he was stripped of all of his worldly possessions and powerless to control his fate. He collapses into a deep sleep on the banks of the river. And with his uncle behind him and Esau before him, he was too tired to struggle any longer. How many are just so tired? Everything just goes wrong. And oftentimes it has to do with our own personal choices. And there's nowhere to turn. And it was at that moment, that night, an angelic stranger visited Jacob. Some have interpreted this as Jacob wrestling with an angel of God. Others say that Jacob wrestled with God himself. But the Bible said they wrestled throughout the night until daybreak, at which point the angelic stranger crippled Jacob with a blow to his hip that immediately disabled him. And we read that Jacob refused to give up or let go until he received his blessing. And the Bible said God blessed him there. Author Frederick Buchner characterizes this event by saying Jacob's divine encounter at the river as the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. That day Jacob was humbled by a beautiful blessing because he was forced to lean on God. And there was a permanent change in Jacob that took place that night. And it was there Jacob the deceiver received a new name, Israel. Amen. Brand new. Amen. There's a theory in psychological circles known as think, feel, behave. Everyone say think, feel, behave. Meaning that a person's thoughts influence how they feel, which impacts their behavior. So if we can change our thinking, we then manage how we feel and we behave differently. Simple, right? Not quite. But not only do our thoughts change, but our behavior changes as well. So if Jacob no longer thinks he's a liar, then he no longer feels like a cheater. So he no longer behaves like a deceiver. So Jacob's entire mindset was broken through the wrestling match of Jacob with the angel of the Lord. And it was after, hear me, after Jacob's confession to God in verse 27, the Lord did something rather unexpected. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, meaning he who struggles or strives with God. By changing Jacob's name, he changes Jacob's entire identity. God not only wants to forgive us, but he wants to heal us, but he wants to change us entirely. And our name changes and we become what God always intended us to be. When God, the angelic figure, Whatever the theologians will tell you. When he asks, what is your name? I look at it as a confession. For he says, I am Jacob. 
In other words, I am a sinner. I am a liar. I am a deceiver. And at that moment, the manifestation of his name came out. If our musicians could come. It's in Jacob's story we can easily recognize our own elements of struggle, our fears, our darkness, our, our loneliness, our vulnerabilities, the, the empty feelings, the powerlessness, the exhaustion, and the relentless pain, whether it's spiritual, mental, physical, or emotional. And I ask somewhere here this morning, have you been to the Jabbok River? Have you wrestled with God until you're able to confess your real character? See, while in the, the time of intense fear and uncertainty, Jacob pours out his heart for Isaiah. Hosea 12, 4 says that Jacob wept and prayed for his favor, for his blessing. Some of us have a difficult time coming for, before God and telling him exactly who we are. There was a cost with having a new name. Because at that very moment, Jacob was transformed. But it was physically. All of a sudden, you lose your hip. Can you imagine the fear he felt, Pastor? He lost his hip and then he's got to go fight Esau. Sometimes we have to go before God. We have to reveal some things that are going to hurt us. Some of us, we jump up and down and we play patty cake church or we sit in the back and we ignore the presence of God because we're too busy holding on to our past, our present, the hurt and the pain that many of us have done. And you know when you step out down to this altar and you look up to the heavens and you let God know I am a deceiver. I'm on the praise team, but I'm still a liar. I'm a department head leader and I'm a deceiver. I'm an assistant pastor and I struggle with bitterness. When we step before the Lord, it hurts. And I think we got it all wrong, and I could be wrong, but I think it's when Jacob stopped wrestling with God and held on that things changed. For years, I wrestled with addiction. For years, I wrestled with mental illness. For years, I even got the Holy Ghost, and I fell back, returned to my vomit. I even was called to ministry and I still messed up in my thinking. And it takes God moments where we just stop wrestling. Well, when I just finish this, or when I just finish that, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna compromise this, huh. or I'm gonna compromise that. Oh, they live by a, a, a different type of standard. Oh, I can't fully do that. Oh, what pastor says that doesn't apply to me. But you feel it in your spirit, don't you? You feel it in your heart. You feel it right now. And you wrestle. 
and you wrestle and you wrestle and you wrestle. But when Jacob stops wrestling and he holds on, the blessing falls. Stop wrestling. Live for truth. Strive for righteousness. Strive for holiness. Your family is looking at you. I promise you this. If you make a commitment in this place, you watch some of your, your kids begin to be healed of certain addictions because of the commitment and the sacrifice that you make to say, God, I'm giving everything to you. You watch. I wonder if it's us, our lack of commitments that stops us from prodigals coming home. That's why we call it an altar. Sacrifice. It's sacrificing the flesh. You think Jacob wanted to walk with a limp? We have some beautiful brothers and sisters in this place. And I hope I mean no offense by using this illustration. In fact, I brought this in the resource center earlier. My wife looked at me up and down. She smiled. She goes, ooh, I'm going to be lucky when you're 80. She thought I looked pretty good with a cane, so that's what she was saying. So. But you know the pain that a lot of people can, can overhear that walk in here with walkers, they don't want to. Hurting, it hurts. Well, sometimes when we give things to God, it hurts our flesh. It devastates our flesh. We don't want to, and we're holding on to it, but you watch when you decide to say, God, take me. I'm not holding on. I'm grabbing a hold and I'm gonna fight and I'm gonna keep on doing it and I'm gonna keep on, I'm not going to let go. I won't let go until I get my healing. I won't let go until my marriage is restored. I won't let go until I receive my breakthrough. I won't let go until I'm set free. And God, until then, I'm not going to let go of your faithfulness. I'm not going to let go of your character. I'm not going to let go of anything. I'm holding on to you. If we could all stand. Oh, the Orobo Shataki. The Orobo Shatati Orobo Shaha. Oh, hallelujah. Jacob's victory was not the result of his own strength and effort, but it came through that desperate weakness. He clung on to God until blessing was acquired. I know from experience it hurts to feel broken. It hurts to be needy. But I wonder as Jacob held on, he began to think, it's not about me. It's about my people, Brother Reed. Maybe he started to think about the covenant. He started thinking about what God was going to do to Joseph. Thinking about what's going to happen with Moses. What will go down with Aaron, with Joshua, and what would happen. I wonder what would have happened to God's people if Jacob decided to wait. But I feel in the Holy Ghost we can't wait anymore. Folks, we can't wait anymore. The rapture of the church is coming. The rapture of the church is coming. Amen. As our praise team 
gets ready to sing. I need some prayer warriors in this house. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every single Jacob in this place. I pray, Lord God, for every deceiver. I pray, Lord God, for everyone that's been faking it, hoping that they can make it. Oh, Jesus, Lord God, I pray that you'd unleash every prayer warrior in this place. Oh, God, oh, God, your miracles still work. Oh, God, you still heal cancer. Oh, God, you still restore mental health.